One of my favorite things about my favorite president, George Washington, was his humility. He very famously uh, declined holding on to the reins of power when he had the opportunity. And on December 23, 1783, at the close of the War for Independence, he walked into the Maryland State House at Annapolis and surrendered his military commission to Congress, thereby affirming the principle of civilian control of the military. When King George over in England heard that he was going to surrender his military commission, he said, well, if George Washington does that, he will be the greatest man in the world. Later, after serving as president for two terms, again, Washington stepped away, relinquishing the reins of power. Unfortunately, men like George Washington are virtually impossible to find today. Instead, we're, we're led at every turn by people who seek to elevate themselves. Some of these people think they are grasping the one ring to rule them all, but in reality, what they grasp corrupts them, turning them from the heroes the future generations could write songs about into real-life caricatures of the stereotypical politician. And that's a shame. These people think they have at their disposal the levers of power, and they have a, a favorite game that they like to play. It's called Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Compliance. Here's how you play. Everyone gets to vote for who they want to be the rule maker. Submitting fake ballots is allowed because this ensures that the least moral person becomes the rule maker. The uh, rule maker, of course, makes up all the rules. In fact, the rule maker can change the rules in the middle of the game, so long as it benefits himself. Now, in order to get the most out of the game, the rule maker should follow certain principles. Principle number one, word salads. That's right, word salads. Speak phrases such as, that, that don't mean anything, such as, let me be clear, at the end of the day, I believe in better. Or here's another one. Even the smallest can show the biggest of us that none of us is stronger than all of us. Say things like that and you're well on your way to succeeding at the game. Principle number two, appeal for the children. No matter what rule you make or how much the other players have to sacrifice, Practice this phrase, it's for the children. I'm doubling your taxes and moving into a bigger mansion. Why? It's for the children. Very good. Principle number three, demagoguery. When the players start to catch on to your tricks, remind them who the real enemy is, other players. Then you can play one side against the other. Principle number four, and this is the best one of all, Rules for thee, not for me. Create rules for all of the other players, but exempt yourself from them. Special things happen when the rule maker uses the rules for thee, not for me principle. For example, like the governor of Nevada, 
You could restrict church gatherings during COVID to no more than 50 people in a building, no matter how big the building is, if it is for church. And at the same time, you can allow casinos who bankroll your campaign to operate at 50% capacity. You see, it is Christians, not gamblers, who must be burdened with stopping unstoppable pandemics. And Christians must be blamed when the pandemic continues. Or like the chief medical advisor for the president, you can tell everyone else to wear a mask while you yourself go maskless at baseball games and indoor parties. You see, it is the unimportant people who must breathe in their own carbon dioxide. Oxygen is for the elites. Or like members of Congress who exempt themselves from expensive health care mandates, exempt themselves from the Freedom of Information Act, and exempt themselves from any penalties for insider trading. And yet, in order to give the appearance of fairness, in 1995, Congress actually created the Office of Compliance for the United States Congress. And guess who they exempted from having to comply with their own Office of Compliance? That's right, themselves. You see, the more brazen your rules for thee are, the better your score will be in the game. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of compliance is an incredibly fun game if you're the rule maker. As for the rest of us, we are left to struggle with the increasingly growing sense that we are being mistreated and taken advantage of. And for those of us that are Christians who understand that submitting to human governing authorities is an extension of submitting to God himself, what are we to do? Well, this is where the Word of God can give us some direction. And the first thing that I would point out to you is perhaps something you've not ever considered closely, but it is this. The Bible tells us to submit to governing authorities, not to obey them. And you might be thinking two things. One, are you sure about that preacher? And number two, what's the difference between submitting and obeying? Well, question number one. Preacher, are you sure about that? Well, yes, I am. Let's find out for ourselves. In Romans chapter 13, verses 1 and 2, the Bible says, Let everyone submit to the governing authorities, since there is no authority except from God, and the authorities, the authorities that exist are instituted by God. So then the one who resists the authority is opposing God's command. And those who oppose it will bring judgment on themselves. Notice that the Apostle Paul, who is writing this to the church at Rome, uses the word submit, not obey. We'll get to why in just a minute. But I'd also have you know that it is the same man, the Apostle Paul, who wrote this after he himself escaped from an authoritarian city governor who was trying to arrest him. He escaped by concealing himself in a wicker basket and being let down, lowered down the city wall through a window. So here's the Apostle Paul who uh, pretty blatantly disobeyed a city authoritarian mayor 
And yet he tells us to submit. But I'd note again, he didn't use the word obey. Let's see what Peter has to say. Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 16, he says, Submit, same word, to every human authority because of the Lord, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors as those sent out by him to punish those who do what is evil and to praise those who do what is good. For it is God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. Submit as free people. I like that phrase. Submit as free people, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but as God's slaves. Again, notice Peter uses the word submit, not obey. Human governing authorities. Again, this guy Peter, he's the same Peter who previously disobeyed the religious rulers in Jerusalem who told him and the other apostles not to teach or preach about Jesus in the temple. So here you have these guys, Peter and Paul, not insignificant men themselves, who both tell us to submit to governing authorities, and yet they both disobeyed governing authorities, didn't they? And that's why they use the word submit. So question number two. What's the difference between submitting and obeying? The word obey in the Greek New Testament means to conform as a subordinate underneath a superior. It means to kowtow. It means to follow a command without hesitation. In the New Testament, the word obey always suggests a hierarchy, such as, in that day, slaves obeying their masters. We don't have that issue these days. But again, an issue that we do have is children obeying their parents. Okay, There is no alternative than to obey. It's either obedience or disobedience. And when there's a hierarchy involved with a human authority, such as children and parents, you are called to obey them. However, the word submit in the New Testament means to arrange things respectfully in an orderly manner underneath the authority. It carries the idea of having order in society, order in the home, order in the church. Submit, that word, means it sort of reflects God's concern for order and respect as opposed to anarchy and chaos, which God does not like. And so both Peter and Paul taught the governing authorities are necessary. Why? To keep society in order, for society's orderliness. And in that respect, we are to submit to their authority, for God has placed them in those positions. In our own, uh, in our own experience, we have a city council, we have a mayor, we have a whole bunch of other various city officials, we have various state officials, especially the governor and all of those uh, there. We have in the United States the president, we have certain officials there in the United States, and we are to respect the authority that they have. God placed them there to keep an orderly society. 
But we are not to obey them as if they are our masters or as if we are their children. Not at all. We don't obey them unthinking about the consequences. You see, governing authorities are not God. They are not. And the laws, the directives that governing authorities mandate and want us to comply with do not dictate our ethics. God dictates our ethics. He commands our actions. We can never allow ourselves, as Christians who follow the Most High God, to comply with man-made laws that oppose His will. Man-made laws can never be our ultimate moral guide. Why? Because man-made laws are sometimes immoral. Slavery was the law of the land in our country, and it was immoral. Apartheid was the law of the land in South Africa, and it was immoral. The Holocaust was within the bounds of the law in Germany, and it was immoral. Racial segregation in our own country was the law in many cities and states, and it was immoral. And there are laws in effect today in our country and around the world that are immoral. They are made and created by immoral lawmakers, immoral rule makers. And not only are many laws immoral, but there are many lawgivers and rule makers who set themselves up as brutal strong men. They rule with an iron fist with little regard to just, for justice. We cannot allow men like that to dictate to us our ethics and our actions. It is God who dictates our ethics. It is God who commands our actions. You see, we don't have to obey governing authorities when they try to get us to violate our faith. But we must always submit to them. You might say, well, how do we submit to them and yet disobey them? Very easily. By accepting the legal consequences of our actions when we obey God rather than man. Fine us for speaking about God's word? Go ahead. We'll pay it. Take our land away, our church property away, for gathering to worship God? That's fine too. We'll have church at City Hall. Imprison us for not keeping our beliefs to ourselves? That's okay. We'll study the Bible and pray in cell groups. Literally. Kill us to shut us up? That's fine. We believe in life after death. It makes no difference. But let no one ever coerce you to disobey God. Never. That is how you submit without obeying. You accept the consequences. You don't obey commands to disobey 
God, but you submit to receiving the consequences that the governing authorities dole out. There's no more clear example of this in Scripture than in Daniel chapter 3 with the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Take your Bible if you have access to it, and we're going to run pretty quickly through Daniel chapter 3, and I'll make a few observations along the way. Daniel chapter 3, let's read about King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet high and 9 feet wide. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to assemble. The satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces to attend the dedication of the statue King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Verse 3, so the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces assembled for the dedication of the statue the king had set up. Then they stood before the statue Nebuchadnezzar had set up. A herald loudly proclaimed, People of every nation and language, I don't know why it sounds like that, but I'm pretty sure he does. People of every nation and language, you are commanded when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, drum, and every kind of music. You are to fall face down and worship the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. But whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. So, there you have it. The rule maker has created a rule, and the order of compliance is given. Worship the statue. Comply, or else. A couple of things at this point. There are certain people whose life mission seems to be to get others to comply with their wishes. And these are essentially little tyrants that think, of themselves too much. They think that their britches are too big. Now, I'm not talking about a business that has a compliance officer that helps to ensure that the product or service they offer is safe and high quality. That's a different thing. I'm talking about government officials, often they're unelected bureaucrats, who have dreams of grandeur about how they can get as many people as possible to obey them. They're given a very official-sounding title. They have a little bit of education. And they begin acting like they're better than you. They're not. The other thing I would point out is that the compliance enforcers in life always have a punishment for those who refuse to comply. Sometimes the punishment is they will frown upon you. Oh, no. Sometimes they will tweet about you or publicly shame you in other ways. Sometimes they might punish you in, in different kinds of ways. And all of the compliance officers these days, their, their efforts are really minuscule compared to the good old days of the Bible. Back in Daniel's day, the penalty for a failure to comply was quite severe. Death by fire. 
Now that's a good story. So let's get back to that story. Verse 7. Therefore, when all the people heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and every kind of music, people of every nation and language fell down and worshipped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Some Chaldeans took this occasion to come forward and maliciously accuse the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever. You, as king, have issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, drum, and every kind of music must fall down and worship the gold statue. Whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. There are some Jews who you have appointed to manage the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men have ignored you, the king. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Then, in a furious rage, Nebuchadnezzar gave orders to bring in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. Nebuchadnezzar asked them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, is it true that you don't serve my gods or worship the gold statue I have set up? Now, if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, drum, and every kind of music, fall down and worship the statue I made. If you don't worship it, you will immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. Who is the God who can rescue you from my power? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to give you an answer to this question. If the God we serve exists, then he can rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire. And he can rescue us from the power of you, the king. But even if he does not rescue us, we want you as king to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you set up. Time out. This is the proper response to authoritarians who overstep their bounds. You let them know that you serve the Lord God over all. When there is a conflict between their commands and God's commands, you will obey God regardless of the cost. Well, someone might say, well, what if it's just a little thing, you know? One of, one of the little commands that God gives, not the big ones, you know, just a little command you might find once or twice, you know, not, not a big one, not a, not a serious one, but one of the unserious commands from God, just a little one, you know. Is it okay to sort of compromise, give in a little bit? How much should we give in? The answer is not one inch, not one inch. You see, later in the book of Daniel, when, the, when a different king 
made a command. His command was, no one shall pray to any God other than me for 30 days. Daniel did not say, 30 days? That's okay. I can live with that. I'll just start worshiping God after 30 days. No, Daniel didn't do that. Daniel opened up the shutters to his window in his bedroom, prayed right in front of the window for everyone to see that he was praying to his God. He openly flaunted the law that that king set up. In Acts 4, you have the religious rulers of Jerusalem commanding the apostles to stop preaching in the temple. Stop telling people about Jesus in the temple. That's it. You can go other places, but not in the temple. Come on. That's our territory. Don't go in the temple. Come on, guys. You can do that, can't you? The apostles didn't look at each other and say, well, this is a big old world. You know, we got the whole rest of the world. We could do that. You know, we'll give in a little bit. No, they didn't give in at all. After they were threatened with beatings and imprisonment, you know what they did? They went right back into the temple and kept preaching Jesus. You don't give in an inch. Not when it comes to obeying God. Not one inch. And if someone doesn't like it, they can sit on attack. Who cares? Let them get mad. And that's exactly what Nebuchadnezzar did. Verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with rage. And the expression on his face changed toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He gave orders to heat the furnace seven times more than was customary. And he commanded some of the best soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the furnace of blazing fire. So these men, in their trousers, robes, head coverings, and other clothes, were tied up and thrown into the furnace of blazing fire. Since the king's command was so urgent and the furnace extremely hot, the raging flames killed those men who carried up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the furnace of blazing fire. Then King Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in alarm. He said to his advisors, Didn't we throw three men bound into the fire? Yes, of course, Your Majesty. They replied to the king. He exclaimed, look, I see four men, not tied, walking around in the fire unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Listen to me. I cannot promise you that if you stand for God against the unholy dictates of an authoritarian, I cannot promise you that you will not get punished. You may not escape punishment. But I do know this. If you are acting on your faith, you will not be alone. Christ Jesus will be with you, just like he was for these three men. Verse 26, Nebuchadnezzar then approached the door of the furnace of blazing fire and called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you servants of the Most High God, come out. 
So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. When the satraps, prefects, governors, and king's advisors gathered around, they saw that the fire had no effect on the bodies of these men. Not a hair of their heads was singed. Their robes were unaffected, and there was no smell of fire on them. Nebuchadnezzar exclaimed, Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel and rescued his servants who trusted in him. They violated the king's command and risked their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I issue a decree that anyone of any people, nation, or language who says anything offensive against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will be torn limb from limb and his house made into a garbage dump. For there is no God who is able to deliver like this. Then the king rewarded Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Listen to me. When governing authorities are unjust, we must speak up for justice. When governing authorities command us to violate our faith, we must bravely decline to do so. We must always respect those in authority, but let no one ever coerce you to disobey the Lord your God. We must follow the example of the Magi who defied King Herod, of Peter who defied the religious rulers, of Paul who defied the authoritarian mayor, of Daniel who defied the king who thought he was a god, and of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who defied Nebuchadnezzar. Every one of them intentionally chose to disobey. And so this week when you're talking to your friends, you tell them, come to my church. My pastor told us to disobey. They might be interested in that. Listen, Our greatest example, of course, is the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus always spoke up for justice, for the cause of the widows and the orphans, for the cause of the children, for the cause of those who were mistreated. Jesus spoke up, and he himself was unjustly treated. Nobody could cause Jesus to disobey his heavenly Father. You see, Jesus knew that his heavenly Father wanted him to do one incredible thing. His heavenly Father wanted him to die a terrible death on a cross. And Jesus willingly obeyed. And nobody was going to stop him. From dying on that cross. You see, when Jesus was arrested and he was blindfolded and he was beaten, he would not fight back. He would not curse those who hit him. When Jesus was falsely accused as he stood trial, he did not defend himself. When Jesus was asked by the Roman governor, Don't you realize I have the authority? To release you or to kill you? Jesus replied, 
you would have no authority unless my father gave it to you. And he submitted to the authority of that Roman governor. You see, Jesus did not comply with the wishes of those who wanted him to sin. Jesus did not obey those who wanted him to rescue himself from the Father's plan. But Jesus did submit to the governing authorities who took his life. And after Jesus died on the cross, no greater authority than death itself wanted Jesus to obey its power and remain dead. But the Father had other plans. So Jesus overcame death. Jesus overcame the grave. You see, he died on the cross because he was obedient to the Father, not to man. And he was raised from the dead because he was obedient to the Father, not to death. And today, it is the Spirit of God who calls us to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We must always remember, we have one God whom we serve. And he doesn't live in Washington, D.C. He doesn't live in Austin. He's not at the city hall with an office and a secretary. Our God is in the heavens. He does as he pleases, and so we will obey him.